Every B2B brand wants to stand out on social. They just don't know where to get started. So they shoot for the moon thinking that their company's social accounts need to sound like the next Wendy's or Taco Bell, or maybe I'm just hungry right now. Spoiler alert, that ain't it. On today's episode of Demand Gen U, you'll get an inside look at how we prioritized our own LinkedIn company page over the last 18 months, our strategy for building a B2B brand that stands out on social, and plenty of laughs with today's special guest, Katie Cooper. Demand Gen U is officially in session. Let's do it. So before we get any further, we have, I'm kind of nervous for this episode because you're way funnier than I am. And I don't know what you have prepared that is not in this outline right now. But for those who don't know, Katie Cooper, aka Coop, is the, I would say the brains behind our metadata LinkedIn account. So today should be a fun one. Yeah, you know, and you're really setting the bar low there with being funnier than you. So thank you for that. (laughs) (laughs) See, we're already off to a great start. So, oh God, my I've God! For that one, yeah. <laughs> the internet issues from yesterday gave me a whole like twenty-four hours to come up with better jokes. So, um, yeah. So actually, ready. all right. So this is unplanned. You mentioned internet issues. So we tried recording this yesterday. Coop lives in, and we just had a map up of Colorado. Where exactly you live, and do they have running water and internet out there? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, we basically ride around on horses, buggies. We make a lot of pies. I'm Amish. No, yeah. We live in a town called Rollinsville. And it's, if people are familiar with Colorado, it's about 40 minutes. I'm not even going to say the direction because I'm like, hor- you heard me doing my never eat soggy weedy situation before. So I'm horrible with directions, but it's 40 minutes from Boulder. 15 minutes from a town called Nederland that I'm obsessed with right now. So yeah, it's out there. It's out there. And the internet shows, it shows that it's out there sometimes. <laughs> well, we're already off to a much better start today. So I'm pumped. So before we get going on this, how did we first link up in the first place? Let's start with story time. Yeah. So I think we linked up. I mean, we both worked at Uptake. Can I say that name? This is an open book. Yeah, we worked at a company called Uptake. Can, can you and... say that name? It's, uh, <laughs> it's my podcast. Like... I can do, we can do whatever we want. Yeah, go. Yeah, so we worked there. I was freelancing, so contracting with them. And you were, I don't even know what your role was. But I think we, we didn't really look that much. We, I remember we had one phone call and where we were talking about Sprout Social. Because I think you were like, do we need this? You were basically like, is this, are you, is anyone using this? And I was like, yeah, sometimes. <laughs> so, yeah. And then we were probably connected on LinkedIn because of that. And you just kind of reached out to me one day when you were in, in need of help. I don't, maybe you were just like, wow, that one conversation I had with her about Sprout Social, she really sold me on her abilities. <laughs> so, yeah, that's, that's kind of the deal. Right. So, is that how you were? I mean, you're, I would say 98% accurate. And we're going mm-hmm. to get into the part of the story that you were just sharing at the end. But I think the only big thing that you missed, and check me on this, but you knew and had worked with, I think, Abby Hunt before, right? And Abby yeah, is somebody who, Abby. yeah, I'm going to make sure that she listens to this episode, but she was also at Uptake and I've only worked with her for a little bit, but she was always someone that I really respected and she had very great things to say about you. So Abby's word holds a lot in my book. And uh, yeah, that conversation was just like the best marketing ops tool evaluation conversation that I've ever had. (laughs) So yeah, that was really it. 
Yeah, that's where I shine, really. So that's great. I love that addition because it just makes me sound better. So thank you. Yeah, and Abby is great. She is <laughs> phenomenal. So one of the best bosses I've ever had. So, yeah. So before we get into the metadata story and kind of the, how it started, how it's going kind of thing, let's just talk about B2B brands on social in general. So where do you see B2B B2B brands, tongue twister, going wrong on social right now? Like, what do they do that they shouldn't be doing? I'm just going to give you the floor and probably ask a few follow-up questions. Oh, dude. Yeah, I've got a lot of thoughts here. And they're all bulleted in this note section to my right. So if you see me looking off camera, you're actually watching that. That's what I'm doing. Yeah. So I've kind of broken down into three things that I feel like B2B brands do wrong on social. And there's probably many more things that people could add, but I'll kind of stick there. So one is that they treat social as the, as like an afterthought or a stopgap. And so because I love analogies and being mildly inappropriate, I think this one's a good one. I mean, we have, like, we had the explicit rating on the podcast, so you're in the right place. Yeah, this was well planned. Yeah. So, you know, like in your early twenties, when you are young and naive and maybe don't know the full extent of your self-worth yet and you're like dating that person who just like doesn't want to commit they want to keep it casual and they don't want anything long term and in the back of your head you're like oh I can totally change their mind because they're gonna date me and then be like yeah no I actually want something long term with you and it never happens but like you always think it will yeah so that's how I see it it's like b2b brands like on social, they're not going to go to the Saturday morning farmer's market with you, but they definitely will like send you a text at 2 a.m. and be like, hey, girl, W-Y-D, which means what are you doing? Because they love acronyms, right? You like that? Yeah, this is just me practicing comedic fits right now. But that's, <laughs> I think it's pretty accurate because, yeah, like it's, it's social is like an afterthought. That's, this is where this like give it to the intern kind of scenario always comes up. Uh, this pass it to somebody like we should have a presence because everyone has a presence. So let's just be on there. But we're not going to take it serious. Just give it to somebody who we just assume will do a good enough job. Or it's like a stopgap. This is a, like you either don't care about it that much or you care about it a lot in very specific moments. And for example, press release, right? Oh, we're going to get this press release out at 9.30 a.m. Central on a Wednesday. And we need to make sure we have a social post going out on every single channel that we're on at exactly 9.30 a.m. Central because we don't want the news to get out before that, right? Because it's hot news that nobody's really going to care about. Or we've got a webinar next week. I'm laughing because you're so spot on and I've lived in that world many times before. I've worked in social media for too long, my friend. This stuff is just not even funny to me anymore. But it's like, we got a webinar next week and we're really struggling to get registrants. So you post this like 10 times on LinkedIn so that we can like bump that up a little bit. Or my favorite is we're going to a conference in two weeks. We don't, we're not like super active on Twitter, but we should definitely live tweet while we're there and use this conference hashtag that may or may not exist. And yeah, so like it, it kind of like it balances on this, like we don't really care. Or we care a lot when it really won't matter or we haven't done the legwork to make it matter. You know what I'm saying? So that's one bucket. Another one is I think B2B brands box themselves in too much on social. So they're either like what everybody else is doing and assuming that is what they should be doing. And the only 
things they should be doing, or they're just like adhering super closely to best practices to the point where like they're almost paralyzed by them. You know, like we only tag people in captions, not in comments. Or we only tag people in comments, not in captions. It gets more reach. Or we only put links in comments. Like nobody puts links in, in captions anymore, which I can tell you, like, because I have this another client that, and I manage their LinkedIn page and they do a lot of blog content and they have a really great content base and a lot of historical trust in that content and they and they do a lot of work with illustrations on the actual blog link preview imagery and so i will still post links as link previews from time to time on their page because they actually do fairly well because they already have this base people that trust them and the imagery is really like striking and it grabs you and so um it really doesn't matter what kind of content you're creating or how you're delivering it as long as it the way you're delivering it is compelling, right? Like, I, I don't really think you always have to do PDFs or you always have to do things. You always have to do like, don't be looking at everybody else who's listening to LinkedIn influencers and thinking that's the only way to do it. I, there's this, sorry, I could ramble on this all day, clearly, but there's this, there's this quote, like, this is me trying to be Silvio Perez right now. There's this quote by Cardi B from her song, Best Life, and where she says, I'm my own competition. I'm competing with myself. And that is what I really think B2B brands should be doing when they're on social. They should be paying attention to other people, but not to the point where it dictates exactly what they're doing. That's We're turning that into a social clip, probably with some Cardi B <laughs> music over it, because that was amazing. That would be my dream. Thank you. Yeah. And then lastly, I think a lot of B2B, B2B brands, it is a tongue twister, Mark. They blame the channel first, not their content. They, And I think a lot of people do this in marketing in general. They... They try something out somewhere, it doesn't work, and they immediately say, that's because TikTok doesn't work for B2B brands. Or Twitter, like our audience isn't on Twitter. That's why it's not going anywhere. That's not why it's not, that's why it's not growing. So it's a lot of pointing the finger at everything else before you actually evaluate what you're putting out there and how you're handling each individual channel. Um, how does that, so, how is that? Oh, that was great. So I've got two follow-up questions. One is sure. just, it's a layup to provide more context for the rest of the conversation than two is slightly more difficult. So Katie's a freelancer who works with us. And how many other companies are you working with? And you don't have to name names, but what are the types of companies? So they all B2B? Is it B2B and B2C? Yeah, right now, so I, I tend to cap my, my client base to probably no more than five. And so right now I'm working with four and they're primarily B2B. I do have one like e-commerce client, B2C. And, and so that's kind of where I grew up, if you will, with social media, was in the B2C space. But, you know, those lines blur pretty quickly, as I've come to realize and I'm trying to educate people on. And then the next question, which is along the same lines of where B2B brands go wrong on social, I think there's this desire to go from zero to 60 very fast and also be on as many channels as possible for a company that was not really on any channels to start. So what are your thoughts on that? And why do you think maybe focusing is a little bit better instead of being on every single channel? Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah, my favorite is when you like, and this has happened to me before you start working for a company and Justin Simon and I used to joke about this all the time is when you like, you see, uh, you join a company and then you realize they not only have a Facebook page, but they have a Facebook page for every single vertical 
and like subset product that they have, like that still happens, which is terrifying. You will see that. But yeah, I think there's a lot of pressure on brands when they like decide to care about social in a, a real way, in a strategic way. Like you said, to hop on every single social media channel and or even to like if they have channels that they've just like always had to keep those alive. And I and to a degree, I think that was like that was kind of what people were taught, even like social media people like growing up in the agency world and like in-house places like you were always just kind of taught to make sure like you were keeping channels alive if they existed and i'm not saying that you should just let channels die but sometimes especially if you're strapped with resources and most teams when it comes to social are it really pays to figure out one channel and one channel do it really well before you start hopping onto the next because even though people preach the ability to repurpose content to cross channels or to just resize the video and put it up on every channel and look, it's so easy. Everyone can do it. There's just like certain nuances to channels that will impact how well content performs. You may have podcast talking head videos on LinkedIn that do really well. And maybe you test them out on TikTok and you just keep pushing them there because you have them. But TikTok is like a whole different beast. And like talking head videos do work there, but there, you, there's just like a different little sparkle that has to be incorporated and the same for like YouTube shorts and things like that you know like it's not a one-size-fits-all with content on social and so that's where I think really focusing in and also knowing why you're doing it you know because if you're just doing it to do it and to be on every single channel like that's not going to benefit anybody you should know why you're doing it and know for us right? Like we, we focus on LinkedIn. That is because that is, hold on. Where I'm going to stop you. You're getting, an, you're oh. reading the outline. Yeah. Don't give away the, <laughs> the meat. Yeah. 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 So, Can't all right. Excited. No, that was, yeah. <laughs> that was great. So I think what I want to do next is talk a little bit about how this all started at metadata, how we started working with you and how it's evolved and kind of where we are today. So if the intern who used to work with us, I'm not going to name her name. She's listening to this episode when we release it, you were doing everything that we told you to do at that time. But we were the company that we kind of made fun of. Like we literally had an intern running our social and it was Jason and I and the intern. And she was posting very self-promotional, very self-fulfilling vanilla posts that were all about us and hey come sign up for our webinar and hey here's our blog post and hey here's all these things and no one gave a shit so thankfully she decided to go back to school and we this is where the light bulb moment went on for us it took about two months for the light bulb to go on but <laughs> if you look back at our linkedin page and seeing how active we've been it probably would take you a while to do this we actually went dark for like almost two and a half full months after she had ended her internship and gone back to school. And with a two-person marketing team at that time, I didn't even know what to do. And that's what prompted me to reach out to you. And I was like, hey, one, you know, that Sprout Social conversation, I can't get it out of my head. But like, two, wow. like we really, we really need some help here. So I don't know if you can think back that far. Do you remember when we first started talking about that? 
Mark, I have my mind is a steel trap. Okay. I remember everything. Um, yeah. So when we, yeah, first started, I mean, I think it was like July 2021. Let's go back, right? And yeah, we started pretty bare bones. And I think because the nice thing about us is we have, we think similarly, we have similar senses of humor, although I am funnier. And so we just, I, like, I'm not going to argue that. <laughs> <laughs> we were on the same page from like the get go, I feel like. And I think I, I was only like five hours a week too, because I think I was like in a transition place with clients and like, you know, I, I hadn't really been looking for anything new, but like, I was on board with you and I it sounded like a good opportunity, whatever. So I was like, sure, let's do five hours a week. You know, the priorities, I found our email. So like our priorities were like, start posting again, right? Bring out the brand personality and uniqueness, promote more helpful content. You even wrote, don't want to come up as only pumping our own chests about how good we are. So no gorillas, jump into any conversations where we're mentioned and thank them, right? So it was like basic distribution and community management is how I would sum that up. And so, yeah, I was like doing three to four posts a week on LinkedIn. We had the content, I think at the time was mostly like the blog. And there was a little bit by marketers, for marketers, video content and whatever. But it was mostly like the no fluff given. That's when seven reasons not to buy metadata came out, right? So that those were like the big pieces back then. So it was a lot of some links some like starting to like oh let's do text-based posts let's I think we even start that's when I started dabbling with memes right and I yeah I think it was a lot of like figuring out voice to be honest like how do we want to sound on social not necessarily like the content we want to push but like when we do what's our voice going to sound like and I think that was important to you and it's definitely important always to me so mm-hmm. so yeah. let's talk about that a little bit because I think this is a credit to you, but not a day goes by recently where I don't see the metadata company page being tagged in a LinkedIn post for a bunch of different reasons. And it's amazing to see. But for people who are listening, who don't really know how to find their voice on the company page, how did you test and learn? What were you looking for? How did you know what was working? How did you build on that? Yeah, well, at a very like, I don't know, tactical level. When we first started talking, I think I sent you like a copy style questionnaire. And that was like something kind of new to my... I remember that actually. That was awesome too. Yeah. It was a Google form, wasn't it? It was. Thank you. Yes. It's the little thing. And I mean, I loved it because I had never done that before with a client. And I, I did it mostly because like I knew how important it was to you, like just from our conversations. And then also... It's just like I had more of a chance to ask deeper questions to like make you think about because I think you were you had been developing like the some guides and like the brand guides and things like that was still in the work. So it was like a way of translating some of the work that was going on there to social. I think I remember one question was about like what celebrity would you be your fictional character, right? Just we'll get the creative juices running. And you answered with like Anthony Bourdain. Because he's like someone you want to hang out with and have a beer with and who's going to tell it to you straight, but also be nice and funny and is like smart. I think I didn't even remember who I used as the example, but everything that you just described is exactly how I wanted our company page to sound. So nailed it. It was a good example. And it like really that for me, 
I'm a, I'm like a, like I said, I like analogies. I like connecting things to other things to help just drive the ideas home, to drive the point home. And for me, that really helped my process of just writing in a way that would sound like y'all from the get go. And, I, and we definitely went back and forth. It's not like I came out the what. I don't even, what's the phrase? Came out the gate. There we go. Came out the gate. Like, it's not like I was like, Anthony Bourdain, bangle, bangle. But like, I, we went back and forth, but it would, it definitely helps the process pick up pace. And um, I would challenge people who are maybe struggling, like, how do I find my unique voice on social? You don't have to just be funny. You don't have to just be buttoned up. You don't have to just like humans, like brands, if we're thinking of brands as people and personalities, like, are complex and varied and they can speak in many different ways. Again, you don't have to box yourself in. Think about like, maybe try to pinpoint who that person would be that would embody you and then think like them, try to speak like them, try to, I don't know if that answered the question, but that was. No, it totally did. I got to say there bingo, was, bingo. <laughs> <laughs> that was probably on the, on your bullets on the other screen. You wanted to make sure that you weaved in at that point. So one of the things that you mentioned, I think, is really important. It's that we joked about the Wendy's or the Taco Bell example. And I think B2B brands who want to start focusing more on social just assume that they need to be this comedy account. It's one of the things that I think a lot of B2B marketers struggle with when they're trying to get their company page going. And it's not trying to be a comedy account, but finding that right balance between humor and education and then getting people to sign up for your stuff. So how do you recommend that people start to figure out how to balance that and what should they be looking for? Yeah, so I think, yeah, this goes back to like personalities, brands are complex. They're multifaceted. You don't have to be one or the other. And when I think about comedy, at least how I like to think that I do comedy is that there's an edge of cleverness to it. It's not just comedy. It's There's a purpose. There's a, there's some piece of value. Um and when it comes to balancing that on a brand page, I always err on the side of, I want to be providing something of value that's like helping people out. And, and I think that even plays into like promotion. That doesn't mean you can't promote something, especially if what you're promoting is in theory going to help somebody out. I think when, even when you're promoting, you can, you can like mask things with like entertainment or comedy or education, you can mask promotion with value by either including some kind of meme or a GIF, or you can provide a broader insight or tip, or you can have an influencer do it, right? Like no matter, there are always ways to just not be completely promotional. And I think that's something as I'm thinking about metadata's page moving forward, I do think it's important to like bring the product to the page in some way. So as I'm thinking about how do we do that more without like losing the, the value of our page, like how do we bring more promo to it? I'm also thinking, okay, well, well, how can we like do subtle inserts of metadata? How can we do subtle like mentions of problems and solutions? How can we do this in a subtle way? And I feel like I, I rambled far away from your question, but I think it's just, you just got to like kind of balance all these moving pieces and know that people aren't just going to love your account because you're always sharing memes. There are plenty of accounts that get by doing that and they have large followings because 
that's the purpose they serve, but that's not all you have to do as a brand to be successful. No. And I think it's funny because you and I will go back and forth on this sometimes around memes because when metadata had very little brand awareness, I think we, whether it was myself or some of the other people who would post, we would go a little heavier on memes to stand out and be different. But companies that only post memes, it's like, all right, what are you doing here? Some of them are funny. Most of them are not. And then when you and I go back and forth on it, you never want to be late to the the meme of the week or the meme of the moment. You always want to be the like the first one to post about it. And if you're not the first, then maybe the second. But if you don't capitalize on like that moment in internet time, it almost comes across as more lame if you're trying to post it a week or two weeks later. And sometimes you'll send one to me and I'll be like, eh, let's not do it. Sometimes I'll send an idea to you. And most of the time I'll be like, no, let's, we're not doing that. Kidding. Uh, sometimes you're like, yeah, let's do it. And we'll riff back and forth on it, which is good, but you don't want to be late to the meme game. It's kind of funny. Yeah, no. And that's, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because I do think it is important if you're going to start dabbling in comedy on your page or memes to have somebody that you trust like on your team or in just like in the company that you can like send things to and get like a gut check because you're that person for me at metadata it's and it helps obviously you're overseeing the brand so clearly you know best but like it's you need somebody to tell you when you're not funny i think is like a really important person to have in your life (laughs) otherwise yeah that's why i'm in kevin young's life exactly Uh, (laughs) that guy (laughs) <laughs> so one other thing, and really one big thing that I know a lot of people are interested in us too, is measurement. Now, in the early days of companies being on social, I think execs and the C-suite were very much interested in the ROI of social media and how can we make sure that we're generating ROI. And thankfully, we know social is working at metadata, but we're also not trying to measure ROI from it. So how are you looking at measurement? What are the things that you truly try to measure quantitatively? And then let's talk about some of the qualitative things too, because I think it's a balance between the two of them. Yeah, it's totally a balance. So I think like some of the biggest things I look at personally, like impressions, engagement rate, I will look at those. None of these I would say none of these metrics I'm like hanging my hat on is like the end all be all, right? So I'll put that out there. But Generally speaking, how most channels operate is you post something and their algorithm is like giving it a little chance, right? They're giving a little bump, see where it goes. And if it's like getting enough engagement based on the number of impressions, engagement rate, if that's doing well, they'll start to boost it more, right? Organically. Now, of course, they don't like always boost it all the way. Every post goes viral, but like they will boost more as more people engage with it, which makes sense. So impressions can be a great indicator of, okay, how far is this post going to go? Is it doing really well? Should we do more posts like this one? Um, And I would say channels are always changing too. So be conscious of that and how the algorithms work obviously are always changing. Like even LinkedIn right now, I've been noticing that it's kind of operating almost like TikTok in a way where content just has a longer shelf life. So you could post something Today and two weeks from now, you're still getting some traction on it. You're still getting people engaging with it. And I've even seen that with our brand page, which I like that better than the like immediate 
fly and then it's done forever kind of thing. So that's see how that evolved. But I think to follower counts are, I, you pay attention to them because that's the stuff everyone pays attention to. And it's the thing that people, I think it's like the common ground metric that like everybody, when you say it, people are like, wow, you got how many followers? But really, like, are they the right people? Are they, um, are you keeping the followers that you're gaining every month? I think that's a big one too, that a lot of people, if you have the ability to track unfollows from an account, you should also be tracking that against the followers you're gaining every month. This is especially true with like accounts that this is more like B2C, but on Instagram, right? You see a lot of people do like giveaways or things like that, or like this page and follow this page and then comment and you'll win this. Those are just like, you're probably going to lose all the followers that you gained when you do things like that. So it's just like, you got to be conscious of the yin and the yang, right? And I think on the the qualitative side, I'm looking at things like comments and what people are saying, the sentiment behind them. And especially on LinkedIn, like this doesn't mean like negative comments are bad because, hey, people are going to rip and they're going to hate and it's fine. But uh, you also got to keep a little bit of a, oh gosh, I'm going to say this phrase too. And I really hate hate it. Finger on the pulse. (laughs) Finger on the pulse. Are you playing like bingo by yourself on this episode with all these phrases? (laughs) Like, I feel like you've got like a buzzword bingo card on your desk. I do. I actually just have a social media manager job description up on my other screen. And that's literally how I'm playing bingo. They love to put finger on the pulse and those things. So, um, yeah. So I think, yeah, like you're keeping tabs on sentiment, not only number of comments, but like what people are actually saying and in that same vein, mentions, right? Like, are we getting more mentions? Great. What are the quality of those mentions? Are people like tagging us? Like you said, like not a week goes by, even a day at this point where we don't get mentioned in something. So, which is like a 360. No, that means we're back where we started. It's a 180 from where we started. So yeah, I think those are all that I wanted to mention. So- Another unplanned thing that I think is really interesting was the negative mentions. And that happens with us from time to time. And it happens with most company accounts. So how do you, we can talk through this, how we've done it before. How do you recommend that companies respond to the negative mentions too? Because you can't just sweep them under the rug. No. Yeah. I think it it depends, right? Like they're And this is also something where if you have someone to gut check things with, that's great. You should definitely do that, especially if you're someone who maybe isn't used to responding to people online. I mean, I've been doing this a very long time, so I think I have pretty thick skin at this point. But if you find yourself reading a comment and you're getting like hot and sweaty, if you're starting to look like Kevin Young and just like getting really fired up, you should probably step, step away from that comment. Take like you would an email or anything else. Take a minute, take a breath, take a beat and come back to it. Maybe talk with somebody else and come back and reply. Because I do think like even us, right, we've kind of got this like snarky little cute feud going on. And there are times when I want to I want to really play off that even in some of our some of our like negative comments that we got. But you do have to reel it in sometimes and take these things seriously, because depending on what someone is saying, especially if they're giving like a valuable piece of feedback in maybe just a negative tone. I think it's the mature thing is to recognize that and just 
own your stuff, own your own your positives as as much as your flaws and your cons. And um, now that's not to say there are some people that just are going to troll all day and that's what they do. And I think use common sense to like read something and try to get the gist of what they're going at. And even for me, like I can usually read a comment and know that one, if it's worth responding to and you have to hedge your bets. Do I want this person to respond back to me? If yep. <laughs> they read this and don't agree, not really. Like, I don't want this to be a thread. I don't want this to be this long thing that then some LinkedIn influencer takes a screenshot of and then makes a post about like, I don't want that. So yeah, I think, you know, use common sense and just respond to people when it makes sense. Maybe walk away and be the bigger person when it doesn't. And uh, you'll be all right. <laughs> Go for a walk. That's what I usually Go do. Go for a walk. That's right. <laughs> so last question for you, just because you're one of my favorite people to work with on a couple of different levels. But one of those levels is you don't require a whole lot of, let's say, adult supervision because you just nail it for us. So what are some of the things that you have planned to test out for metadata in the coming weeks and months? Social media is constantly changing, the carousel posts, the types of videos, like you name it. Give us an inside look at some of the things that you'd like to start testing out for metadata. Yeah, I mean, so something that we're doing, well, that I am doing alongside, I would say, our team is, I'm actually, I'm just using them more. We have these design resources, which is something that like, it's not always, it's a luxury to a lot of social media people. And I think like last year and in the beginning, I was just doing things myself because we were just like managing resources and I'm still doing that. Like I'm still doing stuff myself, but like we have them available and they're like a fantastic creative team. And so I'm just tapping into them more and trying to not just PDF, but I think like single images. If you can translate an idea into a visual that's really quick and snappy and easy to consume, awesome. So I'm trying to do more of that, trying to test more of that, working with them to kind of like, let's collab and like figure this out. So we've been doing some of that. I mean, I want to do more video, but more, I would say I've done some like, uh, I, I would say like trend memes that I've pulled from which TikTok. Has which has been amazing. And those have been some of the, I'd say most well-received posts internally and externally. And I think of, it was one of the demand videos that you imposed Gil's yeah. face on entering no. a WWF ring yeah. and Gil WhatsApped me and I only have WhatsApp for Gil. So whenever I hear that noise, I'm like, oh God, it's Gil. It could be anything. And then he thought it was hysterical. So I love whenever you do stuff like that on our account. Well, thank you. Yeah. And it's fun. That's the fun stuff. So I would say on the video side, I kind of want to explore even more like original content, but like with some kind of comedic twist or something to it, find ways to, you know, you can always use trending sounds and memes and things like templated things till the cows come home. But I think it really kind of like continue to challenge yourself and try something new, not necessarily talking head stuff, but can you find like creative ways to like bring a meme to life or a common experience to life? So I kind of want to dabble with that. And then I would also say, um, I think working with more of the teams internally, like I like Brittany and I, who Brittany does our demand gen, her and I have done a little bit of collab on things or she's seen something I've done and like stolen it. And I see things she's done and I've stolen it. So, which is also, I think, a good sign of a paid and organic synergy, if you will. There's that uh, buzzer. I mean, never invited you back <laughs> on an episode because you just said that word, you're banned. Thank God. 
Yeah. So, yeah. So I, I think like working with more, I would love to work with the customer success team more because I think they're really phenomenal and don't, there's more external promo that could be done for them and what they're doing. So yeah, there's always something to do, Mark. I tell you, social never sleeps. <laughs> well, Coop, this was awesome. I learned a lot. I felt like it was a good mix of you roasting me and then also roasting Kevin Young too. So that's an added bonus. And hopefully everybody who's listening, who's trying to figure out what they should be doing with their B2B company account on social learned a thing or two, because I know that I did. So thank you for coming on. And I'm glad that we were finally able to get you on DGU. Yeah, same. It's about darn time. <laughs> All right. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next week. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of Demand Gen U. Demand Gen U is brought to you by Metadata, the no BS marketing OS. B2B marketers use Metadata's marketing OS to drive more revenue without all of the manual and repetitive work. From running paid campaigns to personalizing web experiences to optimizing everything to revenue, Metadata automates all of this. This means less time spent on low value tasks and more time spent on strategy, creativity, and driving revenue. 